What does a person who saw their parents survive the Great Recession, who survived, you know, who's growing up in a post-pandemic world, need from a financial perspective? Um, was a person who was birthed into an environment where, because of COVID, their parents never went to a bank branch and are now primarily using apps and other facilities? Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I'm your host, David Ryling, and I'm very excited to welcome Delicia Reynolds' hand today. Uh, Delicia, thank you for being on the Next Gen Banker podcast. David, thank you for having me. Yeah. And Delicia, before we get started, just a little reminder for our audience to stick around and hear our musical feature at the end of each episode. Uh, each Next Gen Banker episode showcase one artist from somewhere around the globe and representing a wide range of different genres. So uh, check it out. It seems to be a, a fan favorite here. So Delicia, just a little bit about your background. Uh, you are currently the Director of Financial Fairness at Consumer Reports. Uh, before joining uh, Consumer Reports, you spent a decade at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, uh, specializing in consumer education, advocacy, and external affairs. And just for an uh, audience note, that's where you and I met uh, for the first time on intersecting with the Community uh, Bankers Advisory Council. And prior to that, uh, Delisa, you, you have your law degree. You spent years working uh, as an attorney and counsel uh, before getting into finance. And maybe on that point, Delicia, um, you worked in the U.S. House of Representatives. And how do you take your, your time there and your law background? And how does that get you to finance? Um, sure. I mean, I... I Oftentimes I say, you know, I, I started my career and got into finance um, through my Skadden Fellowship. So I started my career as a Skadden Fellow um, that's affiliated with Skadden Arts. And um, I had been doing some development work in grad school. So this is eons ago. <laughs> <laughs> and um, decided to go to law school, focus on uh, development work and development law. and was doing some clinical work, um, community economic development. So kind of cut my teeth in housing um, and those kinds of issues, working on opportunity finance type issues, but then I had the opportunity through the fellowship to design my own work. And what I wanted to do was think about um, the role that uh, a sort of transactional or corporate practice could have in moving LMI communities from what I call subsistence. So I think legal services is most known for crisis intervention and helping um, in urgent circumstances. But, um, you know, given the, the work that I'd done prior in development, I was really wondering about how you could use the law and um, transactional practice to move communities from subsistence to sustainability. So, what that concretely meant is new Americans, poor working class Americans, and helping them to start their own businesses. So I organized things like worker cooperatives, um, taxi co-ops, credit union, and I sort of got into finance development that way. And then on the Hill, I was there during the Great Recession. And so 
was part of the scurry of policymakers and staffers who were trying to figure out, okay, well, what exactly is a der- derivative swap? Um, you know, and so it was was there during um, that time where we had to learn about these things, um, but also then develop policy around these things. And I think that really framed my perspective about how policy around finance um, is developed. Should it be developed just in crises? Um, should we be develop a more affirmative posture towards what finance can do for communities? So. Um, that's how I make the connection anyway. Oh, that's fantastic. And what, uh, gosh, in my world, that's the two ends of the spectrum of, you know, the corporate derivative world of that time, particularly in the sophistication or lack thereof around that, um, all the way to the development side, which seems in its essence to be uh, very basic in terms of, you know, but it's the beginning of a financial inclusion and the importance yeah. of people getting access to the system, whether it's for a business or, or personal reasons. So if I had to take that and maybe fast forward you into 2022, now you moved into uh, a new role as Director of Financial Fairness uh, at Consumer Reports. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about what um, financial, what your new role entails, but also how do you approach uh, financial fairness? What does it mean to you? Yeah, uh, great question. So in the interim, spent 10 years at the Bureau and yeah. um, then wanted to, uh, the CFPB, and then wanted to start the next chapter. So the next chapter for me was really getting my head, hands, everything into financial innovation um, and tethering back to some things. So is there an opportunity to shape the direction of financial innovation? So at CR, um, it's our, our vision for a fair financial system or a fair digitized financial system, right. as I often say, because um, in my view, I take the long view. Um, there's always been innovation in finance um, and the digital aspect and um, has been around from for a long time. Um, I go back and think about when, you know, Chase Quick Pay is now Zelle, right? And this is... Right. Um, from back in the the 90s. Um, so in, in my view, what we're trying to achieve is a system where consumers can achieve what they want. They can spend, save, borrow, invest safely, privately, um, without predation, um, and uh, digital finance products um, work to improve their financial outcomes. Um, so what affirmatively should products um try to achieve for um for consumers got it and so as you see this role and i would say i I agree with you i I think there's always been financial innovation it seems with the space and place of fintech and the digital innovation that we're seeing now um in my opinion it seems to have it's speeding up or it's happening uh in a shorter time frame and um, in that, so when you think you're, of your role at Consumer Reports, how does, uh, how, I mean, your lens in regards to not only effective and fair, but then then equitable, what role does Consumer Reports play in, in, in kind yeah. of setting that foundation? Uh, sure. Great question. So the role that we play is really bringing, or what I'm doing is leading a portfolio of work to evolve uh, what everyone knows uh, no CR for, which is 
ratings and evaluations, right? So right now you can go on our website and um, or use our app, et cetera. Um, but as a member, you can get um, trusted, reliable, independent product ratings. And so um, the work that I'm doing at CR is to evolve that into the digital finance space. And then to actually accomplish that, uh, we uh, developed definitions, criteria for things like fairness, accessibility, inclusivity, um, attributes of finance, which include privacy, uh, transparency, safety, (laughs) and and security. So um, we've built out a testing framework or an evaluation framework for um, financial products um, across the board and then are building out a series of modules to address different kinds of um, products. So payments, digital lending, lending apps like uh, newer products like buy now pay later um we'll get into virtual currencies and and things like that um what we're trying to do is stand up a regular way and an independent way of evaluating the products and services to say okay well how do they rate how are they actually helping consumers which ones are better if you use apple pay versus google pay is there a difference um and then putting this information out there into the ecosystem yeah i have to tell you that this is um really welcome from my lens because i we work with a lot of fintechs uh, kind of day in and day out and there are differences between them but it is sometimes really challenging for the consumer or the business who's who's consuming it to really understand what the field looks like for one and then what are the differentiation points um i find this particularly in regards to i think one of the things you touched on in in the safe kind of definition is a really around i'll call it the the digital cyber uh, protections of data as an identity and so forth, and the transportability of of that uh, of that data. I mean, really, from a consumer's viewpoint, uh, sometimes they don't think of it. They may think of a product as well. Is it safe for me? Meaning, is the is that company going to stay uh, in business as opposed to, gosh, what do they really do with my data? How does yeah. it get sold or manipulated and used in other ways? So. Um, yeah, I think this is a perfect space uh, for uh, consumer reports. You have such a reputation of of the independence piece also that is, I think it really brings strong credibility to to, uh, to the various niches of products that you're looking at. Um, so now for the for really in your in your history, you've worked in kind of that consumer advocacy and education piece. And it's interesting when I think about this, the the ecosystem of a bank, and particularly when we think of uh, financial well-being for a particular uh, uh, consumer, gosh, there there are so many different players in this ecosystem and consumer reports to weigh in on this. When you think of kind of your role um, at CR, as well as you have banks and credit unions and reporting agencies, how do you think of uh, that ecosystem, particularly when it as it pertains to financial well-being. So, 
That's a great question. We think about um, the ecosystem as, <laughs> you know, not to be literal, but all of the players and actors, right? Um, we think about traditional financial services as well as uh, fintech, right? And I would say increasingly that's less of a distinction because even with um, some of the smaller, more community-based institutions, the business model, um, as you know, has evolved where to remain relevant, accessible, competitive. Small financial institutions also have to be part of the fintech um, conversations and, you know, fintech has to be accessible to communities and there's a lot of work to be done there. We also think about it from the perspective of the regulatory community. Um, One of the things that informs how I approach this work is um, thinking about some of the limitations and missed opportunities at being at the CFPB. And one of the things that I often say is that um, the CFPB, particularly coming um, out of the, being birthed out of the last crisis, really had an opportunity to shape and set standards for innovation and bring together that ecosystem and and really work cooperatively. And I think there were some things achieved, but in particular around the question about the direction of innovation and what it could achieve for consumers, I I do see that as a missed opportunity. Um, That said, it was the CFPB um, that uh, developed a financial well-being score, um, working with um, other organizations and really help to um, anchor this concept and develop some concrete um, metrics there. And so I think what we can do, frankly, is then develop an empirical-based approach, right? So an um, evaluation-based approach to examine precisely for that. Um, So financial well-being is one of the principles in our evaluation framework, um, I often refer to our framework as, on the one hand, looking at regulatory issues, right? So baseline, the floor is products should um, be responsible and should adhere to uh, the regulatory requirements. So we examine for those things. But then on the other side, what do they do for consumers? How do they um, help consumers achieve their goals? How do they help consumers manage through periods of of stress um, and um, economic um, volatility, life changes, um, financial security challenges, um, which really gets at the crux of um, financial well-being. So financial well-being is one of the principles on that side of our uh, evaluation frameworks. And those are some of the um, criteria that we would look at to see, okay, in an app, what are the things that uh, companies set out to do? And then how do they actually achieve that? Yeah, that is really fantastic from my viewpoint. And that is, um, obviously, there are regulations that are out there um, to the letter of the law that, that you consider. But then there's the technical aspects that we talked about relative to data and cyber. The thing that's, I'll say, heartwarming, but then stepping back to say, what's the values approach to this? Does it really do what it says it's going to do or infers, like whether it's building credit history or saving or access? Um, I think that's really where the rubber meets the road and having consumer reports and that that independence kind of lends to it 
really adds some credibility to, uh, gosh, where do I go for financial services, particularly if I'm I'm looking to enter the system for the first time, yeah. or I've been I've been shut out before. Where are there ways and avenues in which to uh, to access it? So, Delisa, one last question for you, just in regards to that framework. Is that live now or consumable now, or is that uh, in development? Where where can a consumer think to get that information? Yeah, so I think by the time this airs, it will be live. So oh, it cool. will be on um, our website, um, consumerreports.org. Um, and we will be launching the initiative next week, actually, um, oh, with a series of limited applications of this. So we're going to be um, scientific and, and data-driven um, in our approach in that we have a framework that we've developed um, and we've got different uh, modules and we've started to test the framework. Um, and then once we've worked uh, the bugs through, um, then we'll probably have a, a second round launch where it's just, we're going to iterate over time, right? Um, our job primarily is to keep up with the marketplace and all the changes out there. So um, over this year, we're going to be doing a series of limited releases reflecting um, what the framework could do. So the one that we'll start off with in mid-January or next week um, is looking at peer-to-peer -peer payment apps and then subsequently, we will do a release in the spring um, that focuses on buy now, pay later. We'll then roll into um, looking overall at banking apps, um, comparing traditional apps uh, and looking at newer entrants, um, digital only um, banks and other kinds of financial institutions. And then we'll also look at... Um, digital asset type uh, companies such as crypto wallets, crypto exchanges. So well, fantastic. Well, that, yeah, there's quite the field in which to, uh, to keep track of there. Um, so final question for you, given your background uh, now at Consumer Reports and the CFPB and your law background and, and the such, what does the next generation of banker look like to you? Yeah, I'm so glad that you all are asking that question, you know, because um, it's such an important moment to ask that question. Banking um, as a service <laughs> tradition um, is, is changing. Um, you probably know that better than I. And so I would say the, the next generation of, of banking um, should think about the consumer, should think about millennials, Gen Zers, um, and then the interaction across generations. What does a person who saw their parents survive um, the Great Recession, who survived, you know, who's growing up in a post-pandemic world need from a financial perspective? Um, was a person who was birthed into an environment where because of COVID, their parents never went to um, a bank branch and um, are now primarily using apps and other facilities. Um, if that pattern holds, they are going to grow up in a very different way and have a different relationship with a banking institution, an important one, um, but different. So the next generation um, Bankers should be thinking about engaging um, with the consumer where they are. And if they're walking around, you know, whether we like it or not, um, looking at their phones, maybe that banking relationship um, looks very differently.
Yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks. It is interesting, too, to reflect in regards to what recent events like the pandemic, how they've changed the the consumption of, of financial services and, and what does that mean? And that's just not a one-time event. It's uh, the generation that is now in, and uh, a younger generation who yeah. is modeling it, right? And so that all comes into play. Well, Delicia, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure speaking to you uh, about banking and finance and uh, the industry and and consumer reports. So uh, for the Next Gen Banker audience, thanks for listening uh, to the podcast and we will see you soon. For this episode's musical feature, we're showcasing more. More creates peaceful acoustic music that he describes as a crafted Americana that gives you hope. Here is Home by Moore. These windows could shatter to the ground. These walls could fall right down. The lights could open out because this house is not my home. Crumble into dust. I don't need that much. I don't need to roam because you've become That was Home by Moore. And you can find more of Moore's music on Spotify. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Baker podcast, just email David at nextgen-baker.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Baker podcast. We'll see you soon.